This is episode 156 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's content, I just want to thank the sponsors for the podcast, and that's Nature Photographers Network. Right now, you can go to Nature Photographers Network and sign up for a yearly membership of just $49, but just because you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to give you an extra 10% off of that thanks to Nature Photographers Network, so apply that by using code LPS10 during checkout. Now, what do you get with that? I think that's what people really want to know. You're going to get access to some of your favorite photographers and some of the best photographers all over the planet who are going to give you direct feedback on how you can improve as a photographer, what you're doing right, what you could improve on, and how to better yourself, plus exclusive articles, exclusive webinars, and exclusive Ask Me Anythings, just to name a few. Again, you can go to naturephotographers.network and sign up for a year membership using the code LPS10 for 10% off. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Michael Rung. I sat down with Michael, who joined us from the great state of Texas. Uh, wannabe Tennesseans, I would say, but that's just me talking about that. I don't mean to hurt anybody from Texas, but, you know, we are the volunteer state that helped you in the Battle of the Alamo. Just saying. Hey, just saying. Now, Michael and I talked about his landscape photography journey, what sparked it, a trip to Ireland, uh, how he worked on it for a time and got better, kind of the ups and downs of going through the photography process, plus what it's like to be a full-time landscape photographer living in the state of Texas. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Michael Rung joining us from the great state of Texas, Lone Star State, Oil State, best barbecue in the world state. Um, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving us your time and your information today. I I'd really just want to get started for anybody who doesn't know who you are. Why don't you fill us in on yourself and then why you got started in photography and what kind of led you to where you are right now? Sure. Uh, my name is Michael Rung, as you mentioned. Um, I have been, quote unquote, into photography for about eight years now. Um, I switched to trying to do this full time a little over a year ago when I left my corporate job. Um, as far as how I got into it, it really it's tied into the corporate job. Back in 2015, uh, I went over to Ireland for a business trip for a project we were working on, and I was there for a couple weeks. So I had a free weekend to myself and went up to Northern Ireland one day and walked along the coastline another day. And all I had with me at the time was my uh, my Windows phone, which I was super proud of and thought I was the cool kid because it had such a good camera. And I took a ton of photos and then got home, was looking at them. I was like, you know, these are these are actually kind of kind of good. And I downloaded Lightroom and had no idea what I was doing, playing around with them, but started sharing stuff and, you know, got that good old social media feedback of like, these are great. You should do this and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, I think within a week of getting back to the States, I bought my first DSLR, a Canon ADD. And, uh, that was my first, uh, toe in the water, so to speak of real photography, as you might want to put it. And, uh, quickly realized how bad the, <laughs> the camera was on the windows phone in comparison. But, um, it just kind of went from there. I, I started off thinking that <clears throat> I was going to be all about travel photography and maybe get into tourism photography and you know all that cringy stuff that I look back on now. Uh, but pretty quickly, I realized that what really 
brought me the greatest pleasure out of it was just getting out into nature, which was something I really hadn't done since I was a kid. And uh, taking those landscape photos and nature photos and getting away from the beaten path a little bit. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Um, you know, we can talk about my transition to full time if you'd like, or save that for your back pocket later. But uh, that's the quick and dirty of kind of how I got into things. I definitely want to talk about that. I, I was just thinking while you were talking, like, does Windows even make a phone anymore? No, not anymore. You know, I got teased endlessly about it, but us Windows phone people were, were pretty passionate. I held on for quite a while. I think I had three different uh, Windows phones, including the Nokia one that had like the 40, I think it was a 41 megapixel camera. And, you know, that was all the thing. You could zoom in so far. Um, but um it was a great operating system, but as the uh, as the story goes, nobody wanted to support it with apps, and without apps, you're not going to last real long. So, still, what do you still, have now? Still salty about it. Uh, I'm currently on an iPhone 13 Pro. Okay, uh, I've so you, bounced you did back and switch forth. over to iPhone. Yeah, I, I I've been on iPhone like three different times, and they tick me off every time with uh, updates that end up crippling it. So I'm I'm back with them after a couple of years with Android. Or Android, I had a Pixel Four and they were just breaking stuff left and right with updates. So I decided to go back to the iPhone and so far I'm loving it, but I still miss windows. I still miss the windows phone. You were, you were that guy <laughs> in group text though, that would be the one person holding it back from like the blue. Oh yeah. Total text. Yeah. And I, I and mean, I used to wear that proudly. Now it bothers me. <laughs> now I'm the guy that wants yeah. the blue text. <laughs> Once you're on the other side of it, you're like, Oh, why can they just get an iPhone? Right. Or somebody tries to share a video and it's like, I don't know, a hundred P you can barely see it. So exactly. Now I've totally changed camps. Why don't we rewind for a second back when you were taking those first photos in Ireland? Um, what kind of sparked it for you? Do you think when you were taking those photos? I mean, because yeah, it, it's fun to be out in nature and it's fun to take those photos, but you were also doing it kind of like in tourism. What, what do you think about it really sparked? Um, I mean, the, the, in the moment experiences were, were great. I mean, Northern Ireland is just mind blowing. I, I did a bus tour up there for a day. And I mean, once you see that coastline and, you know, we went to Giants Causeways and Reed Rope Bridge and just everything is just absolutely stunning and, and stuff I really had never seen and certainly in person before. Um, so the experience was great, but it, it really was when I got back and, and I got the files into Lightroom and I was looking at them on a larger screen. Um, you know, looking back on them now, flaws and all, like they were for the time and for me not knowing really what I was doing beyond, you know, the basics, uh, you know, rule of third and, <laughs> and maybe messing with the ISO on the, uh, windows phone app. Um, you know, they were, they wowed me at the time. And of course, like I said, sharing it with family and friends on social media and everybody oohing and on over them, although it's probably more the location than the skill of the photography. But um, it just, it was the first time I can really remember looking at a photo or actually several photos. I mean, every now and then I would take a, a picture with a camera that was laying around and, you know, well, that's cool or whatever. But it was the first time I can remember looking at a set of photos that I had taken and being genuinely impressed with what I actually captured, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, it sounds kind of cocky, but like I was kind of surprised and blown away by, by those photos I got. 
without that experience, do you think you would have connected with photography later on? Uh, I think there's certainly a good chance of it. You know, I'm a, I'm a little disingenuous when I say that that was really my first foray. That was that was definitely the spark. But after moving to Texas and getting my Windows phone um, and realizing how much better it was, I think I came from an old iPhone when I first switched over to the Windows platform. And you know that at the time, big leap in camera technology. It it did get me interested in it, but I, like. Initially, I was going, A, I was trying to just learn North Texas and, and figure out, you know, kind of what there was to see and do. And, you know, I'd go to uh, some parks here and there and I'd take photos of my car. Like, you know, I had a Subaru BRZ that I thought was the hottest thing. And uh, so I'd, you know, park it in a cool area with a cool background and, and take phone photos of it like a like a dork. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I was already, I was, quote unquote, into photography, but it Honestly, it was probably more something to do after moving to Texas and not really knowing anybody here um, than anything that was, you know, at the time at least, leading to a passion. What does Texas have to offer for photography? Oh, boy. You had to ask. Um, so Texas is big. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> it's pretty big. <laughs> and um, where I'm at in North Texas, and I think we've talked about this like on Instagram uh, direct messages. I've probably whined about it to you at some point. You know, North Texas is like, it's this weird dichotomy. Like we love living in the Metroplex with, with Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, you know, you've kind of got anything and everything to your heart's desire from a, from a civilization and society standpoint. But now that I'm, or once I started getting into the nature and landscape photography, you, you really, you, know, you pay attention to your surroundings and where you are and you realize, holy cow, North Texas has like three hills. Um, and you know, the, the thing that really gets me with Texas in general, but especially around here is I think Texas is in the bottom five of states in terms of percent of landmass that's, that's for public use. Um, you know, I think my nearest state park is over an hour away. I'm, I'm really lucky. There is a, it's not a state park. It's managed by the water district, but there's a little, park slash woodland that's actually got some terrain and, and, you know, some really nice trees that I've taken a ton of photos in there. Uh, and that's only about 20 minutes from me, but otherwise, you know, to get to big bend is like 10 hours. I remember shortly after I moved here, I, I told a coworker, I was thinking about going to big bend for the weekend. And they looked at me like I was insane. Cause I just, I had no idea. Like, you know, Texas is big, but then you find out you drive 10 hours and you're still in Texas. Um, <laughs> that was a, that was a bit of an epiphany. Um, yeah, Texas Hill Country is beautiful. Stupidly, I've never gotten down there. That's probably about three hours from me. But it just there's so much driving involved just to get anywhere. Like I said, I've got one local spot that I can go uh, that's less than an hour drive away. So it's it's frustrating in that regard. Um, you know, if I look for the silver lining of it, I, I kind of look at it as uh, I think Ben Horn has talked about. You know, he only does a I think now four or five trips a year. And to him, he's talked about that kind of keeps his, his passion and his hunger and, and excitement for things coming up alive. So I kind of look at it like that as, okay, maybe I don't get to go and get to these you know, amazing, beautiful locations um, as often as I would like. But at the same time, it certainly keeps me hungry for getting out there. And when I start planning a new trip, I get that excitement and that rush and that anticipation that I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have that um, if I was closer now, that is definitely painting a, a positive picture on it. I would much rather be closer, but <laughs> look, I love, I mean, Texas is great though. 
I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. Like I mentioned when we just jumped on, barbecue is delicious. Yep. Um, and Fort Worth, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Fort Worth. It's a pretty fun city. You have a lot to do. Obviously, Dallas being right there, Arlington's right there. You have a lot in in within a drive. I definitely understand like what you're talking about with not having like a ton of places that you can actually get to. For me, it's, it's kind of like, you know, probably an hour drive to get to a really solid state park that I could photograph. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, like it, let's say you could relocate though. And maybe this is in the back of your mind and you've played this scenario over, where would you relocate to? Yeah, so actually the funny thing is, is back in late 2019, early 2020, after um, I had gone through a, a huge corporate restructuring and got shuffled into a different role, I had actually, I thought, had a job locked down in Denver. Um, so, I mean, that says a fair bit right there in terms of where I was looking. So, yeah, it was it was all the cliched locations. Like when I was job hunting. It was the Pacific Northwest and Colorado. It wasn't looking at Utah so much. I hadn't really spent much time there, but now I've been there twice and uh, Utah would be on my list. My girlfriend, not so much. Um, we've even talked about, you know, getting into central Arkansas, like kind of the, uh, the little rock area. Mm-hmm. You know, Arkansas is one of those kind of hidden gems and mm-hmm. you know, don't everybody go flood it. But I mean, Parts of northern Arkansas are just absolutely beautiful and you know, waterfalls and the whole bit. Um, so the main thing I don't really want is to be on the edge of one coast or the other. Because then you know, I, I'm i crazy. I like driving. I've built out my forerunner so I can sleep in the back and everything. So if I'm suddenly on you know one extreme or the other, then I've got to fly to get to the other side of the country. Whereas at least with Texas... I'm somewhat centrally located, um, but wouldn't mind going west a little bit. And uh, my girlfriend is pretty well on board with that too. But for the time being, we are uh, we're going to be Texans for a little while yet. Okay, so we have Denver, we have Little Rock, and and Little Rock, like Arkansas. If you're unfamiliar with it, you have the Ozark Mountains right there. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of waterfalls, a lot of terrain, caves, a, a great outdoorsy state. Uh, I feel like is is kind of under the radar, like you said. But states like that, and especially the places that you go to take photos, if you like don't know where you're going, mm-hmm. then you you can't really get there. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have to know. And I feel like Arkansas, uh, parts of Tennessee, um, northern Alabama, parts of Georgia are kind of like that too, where you have to know where you're going to be able to get there. Um, and, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about it is, is finding hidden gems like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, I do have guidebooks for Arkansas and, you know, I spent the first 30 plus years of my life in, in Missouri. So I've kind of thought to myself like, gosh, maybe I should actually go explore the state where I grew up in and didn't have that passion for hiking and all that stuff at the time. Um, you know, Southern Missouri is, is very much like Northern Arkansas, obviously it's, you know, you've got the big national forest and waterfalls and, and all that good stuff. So, um, I do have some guidebooks to, uh, to help me with the locations, but I also do, like you said, I, I love going to a place and just seeing what I can find. 
is there a, a place within driving distance? Let's say anybody, uh, let's mark it at a three-hour place <laughs> outside of Fort Worth. Is there sure. anywhere besides that little 20-minute drive from you? Yes. Um, are you are you afraid to say it? No, sorry. I, I'm My girlfriend just got home and there's a lot of noise going on. <laughs> I'm debating whether you're hearing that. Sorry, but if you can't hear it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my initial immediate re- response is, um, for me, southeast Oklahoma. It's right around the three-hour mark from the house. And uh, I've got a state park there that I've gone to several times now. It's not the, well, it's a good-sized park, but it's relatively limited in terms of what you can get to within the park from a photography standpoint, but it's kind of one of those locations where it's a fairly small space, but endless opportunities. And, uh, I've had some really good luck there with, you know, just nice foggy conditions, which we certainly don't get in North Texas more than once or twice a year. Um, it's got great fall colors. You've got a slow moving river going through, you can go out on kayaks and, you know, there's cypress trees and the whole bit hiking trails. So, um, that is, that's my next closest go-to really is that Southeast Oklahoma spot. Best place for barbecue in the DFW area is what? Uh, I'm going to go with Heim. Heim? Heim, H-E-I-M. Is that, is it in like kind of the older part of Fort Worth? Uh, Well, they've got multiple locations now. They started off, um, yeah, uh, they're off, magnolia street which is yeah you know, there's yes, a lot of old I've homes there. there and everything uh-huh. it's a really cool little area actually i work just like 10 minutes from there uh, for my part-time job i picked up but um yeah heim is great we've got a location like 10 minutes from the house now they're over in dallas now so they're uh they're expanding bit by bit uh god so good everything what's your go-to good. Um, it depends on whether I'm trying to be healthy or not, but, uh, um, you're, you're, we're not being healthy. Here. We're not being healthy than the brisket, brisket yeah. and brisket and bacon burnt ends, uh, wet or dry. Oh, uh, wet. Yeah. I'm from, I'm from Missouri. I, yeah. I mean, I can't do dry. <laughs> it's delicious. And it's, if anybody's listening who doesn't do Texas barbecue, you can't do sauce while you eat it. It's like oh, a slap well, see, in the face. See, that's that's where I'm going to disagree. Well, and again, maybe that's my Missouri upbringing bleeding through, but uh, I, I got to have the sauce. Heim's got really you good do sauce. Sa- you know they're in the back of the kitchen, kitchen just watching you dip it in sauce, shaking their heads. Well, I, hey, then they shouldn't put it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> do they at yeah. Heim? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's surprising. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. It's a new age, David. Is it? <laughs> I'm living in the past, man. I'm living in the past. Um, I want to. I want to hit on. Uh, actually, like we talked about taking photos, going to locations. What is it for you? Well, let's back up here. Let's talk about the the printer that you got and where that <laughs> idea actually started. Uh, well, the idea partly started because I'm dumb. Um, I like. Most new photographers, when I started out, like, you know, way too early, I had a website and, you know, I was offering prints and and this and that. And, yeah, I was selling some here and there. But in the back of my mind, it always bothered me that I was having the prints fulfilled without me seeing the end result, not really being Mm -hmm. involved, so on and so forth. And I actually, I had ordered some prints for myself for a, uh, I got hooked up with a local coffee shop and was 
putting some prints on display and I got them and I was, they weren't bad, but I wouldn't necessarily call them good either. Um, which further planted the seed of doubt in my head in terms of like, my gosh, these people that have spent money to buy a print from me, what have they actually gotten? I have no idea. Hmm. So that was basically what got me thinking about the printer path. And then it became the debate between the size of the printer. Um, you know, do I just go with a smaller 17 inch or do I go with something bigger? And then I went to uh, the out of Yosemite conference in 2020, right before the pandemic. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a, I think it was, I don't think it was Canon on site, but I think it was Hunt's photo had a, the 24 inch Canon printer on site and they were offering to print out, you know, shots you were taking there during the conference. So I got a tunnel view shot with this amazing sunset printed out and it's like, Oh, you know, my eyes were as big as dish plates. And um, yeah, that started putting me on the side of the bigger printer. And then Aaron Babnick had been posted about a lot of printing and I pinged her and it's like, Hey, you know, is it really worth going with the bigger one? Here's my situation. And you know, the way she framed it was, well, it's always better to have a printer that's too big than a printer that's too small. Hmm. It's like, all right, that makes sense. So I went with the <laughs> went with the twenty four inch. Of course, now I wish I had the forty four inch, even though I, I'm not printing all that much on it. But uh, yeah, it's always there's always something you want. <laughs> well, you are a Texan. You got to go bigger, right? Right. Well, this thing barely fits in my office as it is. I don't know what I'd do with a forty four inch. <laughs> <laughs> what it? What was it like for you transitioning into that world um, as somebody who doesn't? print my own photos i do outsource it order test prints beforehand so i do know what kind of what they look like before Mm -hmm. somebody purchases those and and they get drop shipped to them but as somebody who who doesn't print their own and from your experience with a printer what are you getting into when when you dive into that world um you're getting into hours and hours and hours and hours of probably searching and and researching and reading and searching again and reading more and watching more on YouTube and the whole bit to try to figure out what in the world you're actually doing. Um, I I will say when I got into it, uh, Sean Bagshaw, and I forget the other guy's name that put out the printing tutorial, I think it was last Mm -hmm. year, they had not yet done that. Uh, I really wish they had done that because it's (laughs) it's such a great resource all in one place. Um, So, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm fairly techie. So, Part of me loves all that stuff, but certainly there was a lot of frustration and, and annoyance you know, when things don't come out the way you want. Um, for me, I mean, from a tech standpoint, it wasn't too difficult. It was just a matter of you know understanding those kind of stepping stones. Oh, I got to have the ICC profiles for the paper, and um, I've got to make sure, of course, now I'm drawing a blank on, on specific examples, but you know, I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I didn't know about Z until just now. So I've been doing X and Y, but that piece has been missing. So it's just, it's definitely a learning process, but yeah, I'm always down to, to learn new things. And like I said, kind of get into some of the technical weeds on it, but mm-hmm. I just, I love the craft of it. There's, it's very cliche to say it, but there's really nothing like standing there. You know, probably the, the biggest equivalency would be, you know, developing film uh, there's nothing like standing there watching that print come off the printer and realizing that it exactly matches what you envisioned. Um, mm-hmm. Even even a small print just holding in your hand and seeing the the way it's you know reflective of the light and the texture of the paper and the feel of the paper. It's just such a more uh, 
I mean, obviously tangible, immersive, whatever you want to say, just such a different experience from just viewing it on your screen. What should people know about paper? Oh, Lord. Um, everybody has a different opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, I had some paper recommendations made to me and I you know, ordered a you know, small box of it here and there. And honestly, some of the popular ones, um, I really didn't like all that much. Um, I actually ended up landing on Red River paper, which, you know, a couple things is A, the, the paper's great. The the one I use, Palo Duro Etching 315, it's a textured fine art paper, matte finish, and it does a phenomenal job of color reproduction and black reproduction, which isn't always the case with those matte papers. Um, but also they're local. They're just on you know the other side of the Metroplex in Dallas. So if I order something from them, I can have the box of paper within a day or two and uh, it's, I'm good to go. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, help the local business kind of thing, but also the paper is just absolutely beautiful when you, when you get your prints out on it. I just think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on like being sure that your monitor matches what you're doing on the printer. Um, now maybe I'm wrong about this and I'd love to get your feedback on it. But again, I've never printed my own stuff at home. I always outsource it. But what I get back from what I do outsource looks pretty similar to what I'm creating on my own monitor. And the last time I calibrated my own monitor was probably a solid two years ago. Um, I, I personally, and I've told other people this, I personally don't think like monitor calibration means that much. What, what do you think about that? Um, I'm a pretty, pretty hardcore advocate of monitor calibration, but that really goes okay. back to when, when I was uh, probably a couple of years into the, this, this whole photography game, I had never calibrated my monitor and granted at the time it was a cheap, like hundred dollars Sony monitor. So it wasn't a great monitor to begin with, which is probably a huge part of the problem, but I bought a calibrator and I calibrated it and all of a sudden I realized how badly I was editing so many of my images because my monitor was, you know, it wasn't the right brightness and the colors were off and this and that. So I would say like so many things, it depends, but if you don't have a good, good slash great monitor to begin with, calibration is probably far more important. You know, I've got the BenQ, you know, 27 inch uh, monitors now. And even with those, I do occasionally run into some color shifts that, that, you know, the calibration catches. Although I think that was more some windows issues I was dealing with, but for me, it's peace of mind at this point. Like I know that if I'm calibrating every month, maybe I let it go a couple months that I don't have to worry. I'm not getting some slow shift over time, especially as the monitors get a little bit older. It just gives me the peace of mind. But again, if, if you're running on a, a less expensive monitor, that's not as color accurate out of the factory. I would say it's a lot more critical. It, for people who want to get started in this world, and I, I was right up there when I was getting started too. I was like, I want to print my own stuff. I want to you know, sell prints. Um, I obviously took a different turn than that and don't really do that as much. Um, but if anybody wanted to get started with that, what would you say, give us like the three first steps to being able to do that in terms of just selling prints in general or making your own prints let's go let's let's dial it up and go making <laughs> your own and selling them so probably where 
I jumped the gun with with buying a printer, first of all, was overestimating my ability to drive additional sales off of the fact that I could talk about it more and show my process and you know all that stuff and potentially drum up some additional business with it. Now, that's a business aspect. If I'm just doing it for myself, I don't care. But the the bottom line is for me personally so far, my printer has had a horrible ROI. <laughs> so, you know, unless you've got a pretty steady print business going already, or you are pretty confident that for whatever reason, the thing holding you back is not making your own prints, which I don't think that's the case for, for many people. Obviously, there's tons of photographers that are very successful with prints that outsource it all. Um, but don't leap into it expecting that, you know, you're magically within a month or two going to be drumming up all this additional business. The ironic thing for me is for whatever reason, it's the economy, the pandemic and, you know, combination of things, whatever. Um, you know, my, my style has changed a little bit from some of the grand scenic stuff I was focusing on more in my, my early years versus getting a little bit more, I guess you could say creative in my work now, which probably has a less, you know, or a, a more limited appeal. But the ironic thing is each of the last three years, I've sold fewer prints year over year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I offered my portfolio collection late last year that um, I got a little bit of a, a bump just through those portfolio sales. But uh, it's been a challenge. So that's a long-winded first point when you ask for three. But to me, that's the biggest thing is if you're going to go out and spend 1000 bucks, 1500 2000 2500 whatever, you know, I, unless you've got that established print business doing pretty well already, it's not going to be a magic bullet for suddenly, you know, generating sales and revenue and the whole bit for you, whether you're doing it as a hobby or just, you know, uh, trying to build a business out of it. The other two things, um, boy, I don't know. You've kind of got me stumped on that one. I would say just knowing fully what you're getting into and it's kind of tied to the ROI thing, but you know, I'm also in the position that I've got to buy a whole bunch of ink right now and that's going to cost mm-hmm. me about 1500 bucks. So mm-hmm. you know, I spent 2,500 on a printer back in 2021. Um, I've already spent a few hundred on ink prior to now. And I think I've got eight more cartridges that are you know, getting pretty low and it's going to be about $1,500, $1,600. So it's certainly not just the upfront cost of it either. It's the, it's the ongoing piece of it. Um, now I will say the ink lasts far longer than I than I realized that it would. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a bonus. But um, you know, there's a lot of costs that I don't think people factor in beyond that initial purchase. You know, yes, you've got paper and you know things like that, but um, you know that ink will come up and bite you all of a sudden. Why do you think your style of photography has changed so much? Um, I mean, again, I don't think I'm too unique in the trajectory I've taken. Like I said, I I started off with that, you know, travel and tourism mindset, which, you know, maybe that's not as common, but I think generally speaking, all of us or most of us have started with more of the, you know, traditional wider, you know, wider angle, um, you know, grand landscapes. And I, for me, it's, you know, obviously the most eye-catching, at least in terms of that, you know, those, those small, <laughs> small feeds on your, your, your phones with social media. But it's also in this, this <laughs> I know this has the potential to, to stir the pot. This is not meant as a knock against people that shoot wider and scenics. I still shoot wider grand scenics, but 
generally speaking, if I've got a you know, wonderful vista and I've got any kind of decent light in the sky or anything like that, it's quote unquote, a fairly easy picture to take. You walk up to it, you kind of see it, you tweak your composition a bit and you know, you're good to go again, vastly oversimplifying some of it, but whereas pulling out my 100 to 400 and picking out those smaller vignettes that are further off in the distance or, you know, what have you. Um, I think that just takes time to develop an eye for that kind of stuff. And certainly for me, it was not an overnight thing um, to switch from primarily shooting wide to primarily shooting with the 100 to 400. But it's just the way I see the world around me has changed. I mean, even before I made that switch to the the, the tighter or the longer focal lengths, yeah, I, I remember sitting in the car in traffic, leaving the office and you know, noticing the tree on the side of the road that I drove by a million times before and never really paid attention to, or, you know, some little collection of trees off in the distance or the way the light was reflecting off of something. You, to me, you just, you naturally, the more you look at the world around you, the more you're going to see the smaller and smaller details. And I think that's what helps drive that kind of evolution that so many photographers go through from the wider shots to getting more into the detail kind of stuff. No, I, I think that's a great answer. Cause if I look back like at my own images too, and try to see what the distinct differences are in wider scenes, it, it's more like a drag and drop process when you really look at them. Um, Cause you know, you could step up to any Vista wide angle, leading lines, big foreground, vertical shot, mountains in the background, boom, you've got it. And you could take that from, you know, I, I, I did this uh, a few weeks ago in a webinar where I lined up a wide angle shot from Tennessee and a wide angle shot from Death Valley, put them side by side next to each other, even though they were completely different locations, they looked exactly the same. Um, in terms of composition and how you can just drag and drop and easily place things within the frame. Uh, is it hard to find when you're in the field? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, you just don't walk up to a scene and turn your camera vertical and take a shot, but you can make them look very similar. Whereas the, the longer telephoto shots are the small details that make the grand shots as beautiful as they are. Um, so I think that's a lot of the fun of using both styles in, in the same photographer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a, I, I call myself a reactive photographer. I've never really been one to do a whole lot of pre-planning a little bit more so in 2017, 2018, when I was, um, thinking, you know, at that time I, I transitioned from the whole tourism slash travel photographer to, I'm going to be an astrophotographer. I'm going to be the next, you know, Michael Shane Bloom or, or Sean Parker. And, you know, those were two of my first inspirations when I got into photography. Um, and now I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, get me back you on track. talking here, about how you're Shane Bloom's <laughs> twin. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what my, what was the initial my mind just went totally blank. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to be the next astrophotographer. Yeah, it was before that. Something something triggered a thought, and then I I blinked and etch a sketched it. Um, <clears throat> man, that's terrible. I am totally blank on on uh, what triggered that thought. But anyways, you know, I 
you go through different phases and, and you come to different realizations in terms of seeing that world around you. And I think just also it's keeps things interesting to constantly be evolving. And, and, you know, if I just shot the same thing time and time again, even when I was different locations, that's going to get pretty boring over time. And I don't think it's a good way to keep driving that passion uh, for, for something I love either. Hey, I hope you got a lot out of that interview with Michael. I really enjoyed sitting down with him and listening to his background and how he ticks in photography. Now, this is part one of a two-part episode that I talked with Michael on. Part one, we talk you know, a lot about what makes him tick. And part two, we talk about what that transition was for him going into a full-time landscape photography career kind of the challenges with that when you're not expecting to go into it as soon as you thought you would and how Michael combated that and came out on the other side. So definitely tune in next week when that episode is released. That'll be episode 157. If you are subscribed to the podcast, thank you so much. If you're not and you're just listening, go ahead and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, leave a review because that helps other people discover the beauty that we're doing with the landscape photography show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you in the next episode.